0: Okay, so we are on, yes, Psalm 8, which is on page 525. If you want to look it up and keep your finger in that, that would be good. So Psalm 8, 525. So this is one of David's, and um, we can tell from the little hint at the top there, talking to the director of music, that it's a a hymn. Um, Let me read it through for us. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens The birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So, this month we are doing a short series on uh, the wisdom in the Old Testament. And what we're going to be looking at today is what the Psalms teach us about how God reveals himself to us in his creation. So God as creator is a very important um, theme in the Old Testament. The first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. It's also a very well-established principle in our faith that God reveals himself to us through his creation. So another of our psalms, Psalm 19, you've got these wonderful um, opening verses. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. And in the New Testament, Paul talks about the same thing. In Romans, he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So it's probably just important to stress before we go any further. We are not saying here, the Bible is not saying that creation itself is divine. That's other religions. Um, so if, <laughs> if you're here for that, you're in the wrong place. Um, but it is saying that um, we can know something of God through his creation. If you look at the psalm in verse 3, you've got this, um, this lovely uh, picture um, where, where David says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers. So just the, the idea that, you know, it's God's fingers that, that created the world. And we might think of it in, in this way. We might think that his fingers created the world and therefore his fingerprints are kind of all over it. His fingerprints are all over creation. And we can trace those kind of back to, to discover something of who he is himself. It's a little like, I guess, if you have a favorite author um, or you're an aficionado of a certain painter, when you read or you look at their work, you recognize um, kind of almost instantly who it is that has created it. So in this psalm, we have, um, I think, a shape. It's in two halves, really. In the first half, you see David, he's contemplating the heavens. Um, I think it's wonderful, I think it's in in, uh, verse three or something, he talks about all the stars in the sky, and you can just imagine, you know, with no light pollution, what an amazing show that would have been. Um, But he's looking at all of that, and he's just, uh, I think, in awe at the God who created it. So that's the first half, and then you have kind of a pivotal verse in the middle, verse four, verse four where he asks himself a question, he's thinking about all of this, and then he says, well, given that, how you know, awesome you are, what, what are we that you should care for us? And this pivotal question in the middle is actually what makes this psalm a wisdom text as well as a hymn. And then the second half of the psalm is, you know, all these thoughts come rushing into his head about, well, actually, you know, even though we are kind of tiny in comparison to God himself, that he does value us. He, he talks about the fact that he has made us a little lower than angels. So as I just briefly go uh, through looking at this passage this evening, I want to follow the same process as David. So I want to, to start by us thinking about what God reveals about himself through his creation, but then also to think about what he reveals about us through his creation. And then, of course, to just think before we close about how we might respond to both of those things. So firstly we look at creation and what does it tell us about God. The first thing I think it has to tell us or remind us of is his transcendence. Um, I'm very grateful for the word transcendence because it captures very neatly something which I think you can t- take sort of paragraphs to explain but it's You know, basically the idea that that God is above and beyond us. uh, And above and beyond, indeed, anything that we could actually imagine or experience. So we look at at creation. Um, I am not an expert on on creation things. So I had to go on to Google to look up some stats. And um, I thought I'd look and see what stats there were about the solar system. Again, this is not my... um, specialist subject, but apparently there are, um, you know, the universe is kind of in two bits. There's the observable bit, which I think is sort of defined by what the Hubble telescope can see, but there's also a a general understanding that there's a lot of other stuff beyond that. There's kind of a a bit of the universe that we can't see as well, and, and we have no idea how big that is. But the observable piece, apparently the width of the observable piece of the universe is just under 100 billion light years. I have no idea what a light year is, so I look that up as well. A light year is equivalent to 6 trillion miles. So the width of the universe is 100 billion times 6 trillion miles, which is just mind-blowing. And even when you think about just our planet, apparently on our planet there are... They estimate um, about 12 and different species, of which we've only discovered about, I think, about five, five, ten percent so far. So from this, you can get the, the get the sense: if God created all of that, He is completely—I um, would use the word "other." You know, the, the church has always been very clear about the fact that there is the Creator and there is the created. Only God sits in the creator box. The rest of us are all sitting in the created box. So we are completely different in that sense. We are created, not creator. Only God is creator. So God is is utterly other from us. You get some lovely poetry in the Psalms around this, some lovely sort of pictures of God in Psalm uh, 104. You'll, You'll probably recognize these words from our worship songs. It says, the Lord wraps himself in light, as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. And yet, although kind of on one level we know all that, we also as humans have a tendency to to kind of reduce God to, maybe it's just to try and make him a bit more manageable and understandable. But we tend to kind of reduce him to human size. Um, some of you may know the, the, the quote from Voltaire who said, um, uh, you know, we have, if God has made us in his image, then we have returned him the favor. Basically, we kind of remake God in our own image. Um, so I think it's good for us to kind of look around every now and again and just remind ourselves, you look at the vastness of, and the, uh, of what surrounds us, that there are no limits to God. Um, it's not helpful for us to, to limit him in the way, uh, same way as we understand our own limitations. Another characteristic that we will often, I think, understand through creation is, is just how beautiful God is. I'm pretty sure that every single person here has, at least once, but probably on a regular basis, just been taken by the beauty of the world, You know, whether that's a landscape. Um, I just have been blessed to spend this week in, in the Swiss Alps. So I've, you know, I've had the whole the mountain thing going on and the, the clear forest streams. It's just been lovely. Um, we might also see beauty in um, a newborn at, at the 8, not the 8.30, at the 10, 10.30 this morning. We had two little babies. They were twins. And we got another lovely little baby over there as well. Um, <laughs> just on cue. Um, you know, that's, you know, we can't, I love babies, but you can't help but look at a, look at a baby and just uh, just how beautiful um, I have a thing about trees at the moment, which is fairly random, came from me, uh, attending a talk on trees at a festival this summer, and um, just now totally obsessed by them um, everywhere I go. So in fact, we're surrounded by beauty everywhere. So although we've never seen God, um, as we, we recognize that phrase from the New Testament as well, no, nobody has ever seen God, but we can know something of his beauty by the beauty that surrounds us. It doesn't have to be big. Uh, Gerald Manley Hopkins, some of you may be um, familiar or fans of his poetry, was a great nature poet and a Jesuit priest. Um, he said, uh, having spent quite some time contemplating a single bluebell, he had said, I know the beauty of the Lord by it. So this is all around us. I think also the, uh, just one other thing that I uh, will pick up under this about what it tells us of God, is that creation tells us of God's love. Creation is all gift. Now, if you think about it, God didn't have to create the universe, the world, us. He did it actually because it's um, uh, true to his character, it's an expression of his character. He is love. And creation is like an overflowing of that love. Um, Saint uh, Bonaventure described creation um, as the fountain fullness of God. If you can imagine kind of the water spilling over that, that kind of fec- uh, fecundity and, and uh, generosity of God's love. He talked about it as being um, an overflow of the, the dynamic and um, full love that flows between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So those, I mean, obviously we could spend a lifetime talking about all the different characteristics of God, but just to give us that kind of a, a sense of what God reveals to us about himself through creation, what does he reveal to us about ourselves through creation? It's perhaps not quite so obvious or quite so intuitive. But one thing we might say, especially having talked about, you know, the transcendence of God, is that creation... I think reminds us of our dependence. We are utterly dependent on God. I know we think, or we try very hard anyway, to, to think that we control everything, but we, can, we actually control nothing. Uh, it's God who um, holds us, you know, um, it's his choice as to what happens. So our very existence is a gift, that might be quite a scary idea. We are utterly dependent on God. He holds, holds us and he's all that holds us up. But actually I think it's a very safe place to be dependent on God if we don't fight it. And it, it reminded me of, um, some of you may be aware, um, r- recall this, um, Julian of Norwich's picture, her hazelnut picture, which um, I think is a really good example of this. I thought I'd just uh, read it to you to re- remind you if you've read it before. This is Julian of Norwich um, had some amazing revelations um, from the Lord. They were actually put together in a book called uh, Revelations. and uh, They were basically prayer pictures that the Lord gave to her and things that the Lord said to her. So in this particular one, she says, He showed me something else, a tiny thing no bigger than a hazelnut, lying in the palm of the hand and as round as a ball. So it's like you can imagine a a hazelnut in the size of our hand. I looked at it puzzled and thought, what is it? And the answer came from the Lord, it is everything that is made. I wondered how it could survive. It was so small that I expected it to shrivel up and disappear. Then I was answered, it exists now and always because God loves it. Thus I understood that everything exists through the love of God. In this small thing, I saw three truths. First, that God made it. Second, that God loves it. And third, that God cares for it. And this is the same for us. I think if we're ever kind of feeling that, that we're needing comfort or security in the Lord. You know, it's a, it's a kind of lovely picture to think that we are cradled like that, as the, as the Bible tells us, in the, uh, the Lord upholds us in his right hand. The second thing I think that, that creation shows us, and this may sound a bit strange, is that we are delightful to God. He just can't get enough of us. He's uh, utterly beguiled and enchanted by us. Um, we see that in in Genesis, you know, at the end of each of the day of creation, God looks at what he's done and he says, it's good, I'm really pleased, I'm kind of, you know, I'm really. it's giving me a good feeling. And at the end of the week, he looks at it and he says, it's very good. It's like it's perfect. It's kind of this joy that that he has, the delight that he has in what he has created. There's a a lovely little um, piece in Job, you know, Job is having a really, really grotty time. Uh, he's got these really unhelpful friends. Um, God finally kind of breaks in and, and kind of speaks to Job direct about, uh, about what's going on. And there there is a whole three chapters in Job where God takes him on essentially a kind of a guided tour of creation. He just kind of takes him around and shows, you know, this is kind of where I laid the foundations of the earth. And this is kind of where I put the stars in the sky. And, you know, you see that goat there. You know, I kind of know when it's going to give birth and all these strange details. But you do get a sense of uh, the fondness that God has for everything that he's created. And that includes not just stuff, you know, that seems useful or seems that, that we need or that we will see, but as actually includes, he takes him around and he shows him this stuff that nobody else will ever see but God, stuff that nobody else but God will ever do. You know, God uh, shows him, um, this is where I walked in the recesses of the deep, or this is where I water in the desert that no one will see, um, or this is, this is where I count the clouds. I mean, this, this stuff he just does because it delights him. And in the same way, you know, it's maybe a challenge for us, but, you know, we are also created. We're we're counted in all of those things that he delights over. And maybe my my final thing that I would say on this is linked to that, which is that creation also, as we look at it, and this is linked to it, I guess, why God takes such delight in us, reminds us of our uniqueness. Um, When... When I was at primary school, which is a long, long time ago, I do remember being taught that every snowflake is unique. I don't know if you were ever taught that, but that's kind of stuck in my mind. Every snowflake is unique. And that's true for everything in creation. You know, no, no two blades of grass are the same. Um, you know, no two ladybirds are the same. Also, we are unique. You know, we have to, I guess it's, a, it's kind of weird to think about it, but You know, nobody like you, exactly like you, has ever existed. I think we would be fairly confident um, from the way that God works things that nobody exactly like you will ever exist in the future. So you are a one-off. I am a one-off. God doesn't do repeats. You know, these are those fingers that made the creation are also the fingers that hand-made and custom-made each one of us. We are all, as a a spiritual director once said to me, we are all God's work of art. Each of us is an individual work of art by God that He's continually working on and making more and more beautiful. So, recognizing that not only does God not do repeats, but He also doesn't make mistakes. God is perfect, He doesn't mess up. The way He designed each one of us was intentional. He made us the way we really are, not the person we might pretend to be um, at work or, you know, in social settings or the person we think we want to change ourselves into. But the actual person he designed us to be was intentional and perfect in design. So I think we... Uh, Maybe come back uh, in a moment to how we might respond to that. But something else that we see as we start to understand a little bit more about God's creation, we maybe start to understand a little bit more about ourselves. So, um, how do we respond to all this? I want to make three quick uh, suggestions um, before we close. The first one is to be more present. Um, If God is, is trying to speak to us through his creation and we aren't actually spending time to actually kind of look up and around and look at what he's doing. We're we're kind of missing the whole point. Um, This is something that I think all adults are very bad at, children are very good at. I I was in the park about a week ago and there was a guy just ahead of me with his little girl, she was about this big, she was on a scooter, he was walking. Um, He was walking like this, with his head in his phone She, uh, you know, her attention was caught by something. It turned out as I passed by, because she was absolutely fascinated by this red berry on this bush. Dad was like, you know, at least 100 yards ahead, still, you know, in his phone before he realized that that she'd stopped. And we're all doing that. Maybe it's not the head in the phone, but there's something, you know, our head is always, well, maybe I speak for myself, but, you know, our head is often somewhere other than in the present moment. You know, we're quite often like somewhere completely different. And if we're not present, we're missing um, all of that. And just to take that wonder that children have. You know, Jesus talked about, um, you know, that we need to be like children to inherit the kingdom of God. And I think when you think about, you know, we, we know we live between the now and the not yet of the kingdom. So there are signs of the kingdom all around us in, in each other, but very much in creation but we're, with our adult you know, heads on and our adult busyness, we are in danger of missing um, all of that. So maybe one of the things we might do is kind of try to get out. I try to get out every day into the park and just actually open my eyes, look up, mostly at trees at the moment, but, you know, look around. What's there um, is a good thing to do. Uh, the second thing we might do in response is to maybe just think about how do we view the planet are we actually respectful of God's creation? Are we respectful of the planet? You'll see that um, in verse 3 in the psalm, David talks about when I uh, consider your heavens, not the heavens, your heavens. And elsewhere in the psalms in 24, it's a very familiar verse, I'm sure you all recognize, says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world is, is not ours, we don't own it, though we may... On mass behave that way sometimes. The world is God's, the creation is God's, and we are stewards. We're actually, you know, part of what we're here to do is to actually look after it on his behalf. So we might think about how well we do that. For me, I was quite a late comer to the whole environmental thing. It's just not been something that had been on my heart um, when I was younger, but now, particularly when I think about those two things of um, uniqueness and delight that God takes in his creation, You know, if every single thing Jesus tells us, you know, that God knows about the individual sparrow. You know, God doesn't love sparrows. He loves each sparrow. He doesn't love mankind. He loves each one of us. We're individuals. And if he takes such delight in the individuality, for me, that gives me a different way of thinking about creation and and the, the kind of desire to take care of it. Um, Rowan Williams uh, says something recently, which has been quite widely quoted on this. Um, He said, our present ecological crisis has a great deal to do with our failure to think of the world as existing in relation to the mystery of God. You know, seeing this connection between creation and God. Um, That it's not just a huge warehouse of stuff to be used, you know, as for our convenience. And my last last suggestion, my last point about uh, response is perhaps the most important, and that's um, our response of praise. You know, whenever we think of God, I think we just automatically praise bubbles up inside of us. That's our our, our natural response. Um, And every created thing exists to give praise and glory to God. St. Francis of Assisi wrote this wonderful poem called The Canticle of the Creatures that you may be familiar with he's basically um, kind of explaining explaining in a poetic way how creation gives glory to God by just being what it is. So the sun gives glory by shining, the stars give glory by being beautiful, the water gives glory by being chaste. Um, and so we too praise by being ourselves, being the person he created us to be. And this is perhaps, I think perhaps, a, a, an important insight for us in this, kind of day and age where perhaps more than ever we are under pressure to conform to um, cultural stereotypes, um, we perhaps feel under pressure to be somebody we're not, um, none of those things can give glory to God. We can't, Thomas Merton talks about the idea of a false self, it's kind of the, the mask that we put on to get on or that we feel we need to put on to be accepted in society, in, in the world. We can't give glory to God out of a false self, but we can give glory to God by being the people that he designed us to be. So I think the key for us is to understand who is it that God designed me to be? Seems like an obvious question, but I don't know, certainly when I stop to think about it, I'm not sure I could kind of write a full essay on it. Um, So one of the things we might do is is pray about to ask God to reveal that to us. Um, There was... um, I think I'm right, certainly St. Francis, I think also St. Augustine, used a prayer quite regularly, which is a very simple one, but very powerful, which was to pray to God, who are you, Lord, and who am I? Who are you, Lord, and who am I? And you can kind of imagine that if we understood both of those things, our lives might be quite radically transformed. We might make different decisions Um, we might be more full of joy, more full of peace than perhaps we are at the moment. So why don't I, am going to close by praying that for us. Let us pray. Lord, we just uh, want to thank you for the the wonder, the beauty, uh, the overwhelming gift of your creation. We thank you for choosing to reveal yourself to us through it. Your transcendence, your beauty, your loving generosity. We ask as well that you please forgive us for the times when we have not treated your creation as we should. Lord, we thank you that despite our seeming insignificance, you have crowned us with beauty and honor. And that you delight in us as the unique individuals you have made us to be. So as we start a new week, please help us to stay more in the present moment and open our eyes to see the wonder of your creation all around us. Lord, please give each one of us a revelation of the person you made us to be and the grace we need to become that person more fully so that our lives can give the greatest possible glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.